0: welcome to the women's health podcast i'm antony lowe the physio detective
1: and i'm marika hart from herisphere together we interview leading authorities and we answer questions and share our thoughts to provide the general public with the best quality information that we can find on all aspects related to women's health please remember that the materials and content on this podcast are intended as general information and they are for entertainment purposes only
0: they're not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice diagnosis or treatment. Now sit back, grab your favorite beverage or do your thing and enjoy the show. Hi everybody, welcome to the podcast today. It's my pleasure to introduce you to our guest Amy Iker. Amy Iker is an author, she's a speaker, she's a pain coach, Um, she's also a PTA, she's an educator and she's got an amazing story. She's a friend of mine as well uh, we started off by fighting with each other, and now we still fight with each other, but much more like brother and sister instead of uh protective mama bear versus guy who likes to poke holes in stories um so welcome to the show, Amy
2: Thank you so much for having me
0: oh that 's okay. Gonna- Thank you mother. She had you so um <laughs> we've Are also we gonna- got we 've also got marika with us hey marika how' you going?
1: I'm doing great. Thank you very much, Anthony. How are you?
0: Good. Thank you. Um, Really interested today. So, today we're going to hear about Amy's story. We're going to hear about um, her book. We're going to hear about what she does with her clients. And um, I'm really looking forward to hearing it. Uh, But because I know it so well, I'm going to let Marika ask more of the questions today, Um, which is always fun because Marika asks such good questions. So, really looking forward to it Amy tell us what what kind of um where would you like to start with your story because you know I know it started more than 26 years ago 26 and a
2: half plus some no um Well, I mean, if we start at the beginning, I was born in a small... No, that's really boring. We won't do that.
0: 26 (laughs) years old, right? You're 26 years old with a kid that's 16, 17.
2: (laughs) It's crazy, isn't it? Okay. I might be a little bit older than 26. Maybe I'm 44. (laughs) But um, we can start with swimming in college when the injury occurred and kind of build around that if you like. Um, Yeah, that sounds great. I was a summer baby, so a, a, a young 18 when I started college at Illinois State University, where I had been recruited to swim for the swim team. Um, I had coaches in high school that said I, I, I had a pretty good shot at being one of the faster women in the pool at my age. And um, they, they were looking for me to break some records and do some pretty big things and possibly even qualify for the Olympics back in the day. Uh, I still think that they were being really, really nice, but we'll just accept that they believed that I was, you know, I had the potential to be one of the fastest women in the world. Um, and I, I, Packed my bags and I went to college on my scholarship and started swim practice and found that it was um, very different from my high school swim practice. We swam probably double the yardage and uh, I felt very small in my little pond and started chasing the, the faster girls. And um, within a few months, I was starting to kind of get some back ickiness, low back kind of hurt. We had a big big meet weekend we would get on the little travel bus and uh, we hit three states in three days in three different meets which i get other yeah other sports do that swimming doesn't really do that like that's not not really a thing that happens very often and uh, it was intense and i swam in all of them which was you know very exciting for little freshy freshmen but I do remember getting on the bus and and really just kind of touching my low back and feeling like things weren't right and wishing that like trainers gave us rubdowns or something cool, like <laughs> that there was more than ice available, I think. And um, shortly after that, I was at a routine practice in the pool and I did a flip turn like I'd done a hundred bajillion times. I heard like a pop somewhere in my back butt area, and then just searing pain throughout my butt and right leg. And it was kind of like in a cute little C-shape at the end of the pool. So not drowning, I wasn't drowning, but like I couldn't straighten up like to get my head back above water. So teammates are starting to come into the wall, so there's like this back jam because my body is in the way of where they're supposed to be turning. And the next thing I know, somebody has kind of scooped me up by the hips, flopped me onto the deck, and starts stretching my hamstrings where I feel like I probably screamed because I remember it feeling very intense and burning and painful. And the memory kind of fades out from there. So you um,
1: basically passed out with agonizing pain.
2: I, I, I think so. Yeah. I think that's probably a fair, like, I don't remember if I passed out, but I do know that that's kind of where the memory just stops. And uh, what would precede to that is three to four months of seeing the top specialists in my area that took care of all of us athletes, because you know, when, when they pay you to swim, they wanna make sure that you can keep doing your job because they don't like to be paying people that aren't doing their job. So I got to know our trainer, John Munn, really well, and spent a lot of time with his elbow in my butt, and um, went through every tube and injection known to man to pinpoint the source of my pain while I was laying on the floor of my classes because I could not sit, and what would typically take me like five minutes to walk across campus was taking closer to 45 minutes. So walking and sitting were very, very challenging at that time. And after x-rays and CT scans and MRIs and bone scans with and without contrast and various needles injected into me, the consensus for why I was having this intense butt pain was, are you ready? I must not want to swim. So I'm making it up
0: so obvious whoa whoa.
2: (laughs) right i mean why wouldn't i want to sit in a chair
1: yeah because crawling across the campus is what every girl dreams of
2: right i mean doesn't every 18 year old want like a super cool walker or cane or i don't know i I should those like little like scooter things could soup that up with stickers so who said that to you this is one of the
1: doctors sports doctors was it
2: um this was said multiple times during that By different time. people yes so the coach said it um, the orthopedic sports doc said it the trainer did not John believed me John was the only one at that time that believed me and he was like I don't know what's causing all this pain but it's super clear that you don't want it and I don't understand why we can't figure out where it's coming from
1: so the scans were looking pretty clear there was so op- nothing I mean, there was obviously, obviously the pain is all in your head. Right. Okay. Right.
2: Right. So the pain is all in my head. I'm making it up. And um, the interesting thing was I was hiding a secret at that time that I didn't want anybody to know about. So I'm basically being told, well, you just don't want to swim. You just want to go home. Like you just can't handle the college thing. And the secret is that I'm being sexually abused by my youth group leader who is at home. And so I do not want to go home. I want to stay here on scholarship where I am safe and have swim meets so that I have excuses to not go home. home. Going home is the last place that I want to be. But I can't tell anybody because I think that I'm in the middle of an affair and that if anybody finds out I'm going to be arrested because I'm also not very smart at 18. But arrested?
0: It started yeah. when she was younger, right?
2: Yeah, it started when I was younger.
1: Oh, so, sorry, the, the my youth view- group leader yeah. who was abusing you, you thought you might get in trouble.
2: Yeah, he told me that I would be arrested for adultery if anybody found well,
1: it. Well, he sounds like a total douche that I want to slap in the face, but um, we could mm-hmm. move on from that.
2: I was going to um, say, there's a line forming. <laughs>
0: He was, he, was, he was convicted and arrested, arrested and convicted.
2: Arrested and convicted and did do jail time. So oh, there was well that, some closure yeah. to that. Wow. Yeah, but so the pain may have been in my head or maybe more specifically my unconscious brain uh, and nervous system and tissue and chemicals and a couple other things. But um, I, one of the things that has fascinated me as my journey continued is the idea that y- you can have a nervous system that's ready for something like this to happen. And basically uh, basically, this was the match on the gasoline.
1: You were primed, you were ready to blow.
2: Uh, yeah, I was just ready to go. I mean, and swimming was my everything, right? It's my identity. It is my social group. It is my favorite activity in the world. It is also my livelihood. It's what's paying for school. So by taking that one thing out, like there wasn't really a whole lot left except for this girl that's being sexually abused. Like that's the other label of my identity. So there's not really a whole lot else there because I'm at the pool all the time. I mean, I I swim from morning till bedtime. So, um, so at that point, Amy, when,
1: when they said to you, okay, you've had these scans, there's nothing there. You just want to go home. Did they say to you get in the pool or, or you're out? Like, was there a, a bit of any kind of ultimatum with your scholarship there?
2: No, nobody put me back in the pool. They thought it would be the worst thing for me. And because they couldn't find the offending tissue, they were afraid something was going to break. So I was treated okay. I like, was incredibly fragile. And I was told, we can't put you back in, like, you can't get back in.
1: You can't get back in.
2: No, I never set foot back in that pool as a college athlete. So I never got back in the water. Nobody ever tested it, which to this day, like that, I would change. We we talked a little bit about, before we got on about what, what are things that you would do differently? Uh, Somebody put my ass back in that pool. Like, just see what happens. I'm pretty sure my pelvis wasn't going to explode. But I, I was led to believe it. But, but you're 18 years old. You're 18 years
1: old. And you trust all the healthcare professionals and your coaches and your nothing. university. You, you, what do you know at 18? You know nothing.
2: nothing. Absolutely nothing. <laughs> I know my butt yeah. hurts. <laughs> I know yeah. my butt hurts a lot. And, um, my athletic director from my high school, I had nannied for his daughter for two summers. So we were pretty close and, uh, he got involved, like he had heard that I had gotten hurt, got involved somehow and gave us the name of a physical therapist up in my hometown. So I'm two and a half hours from home when I'm down at school. So God bless Anne, Anne, wherever you are, if you happen to listen to this podcast, Thank you for listening to me. There's mistakes later, but she was the, she and John were the first ones to believe and to listen. And Anne opened that clinic every weekend, took me Friday, Saturday, Sunday, would send me back to school, and then would get me after hours the next Friday. And we did this for months. But when I came into her office, she said, tell me, your, just tell me, tell me what's been going on, tell me what happened. She never interrupted. She listened to my entire story. If we could clone that man.
1: Yeah, I, I, that's, it's so important, isn't it? And I know Anthony, you are very big on the listening and we as physiotherapists, apparently on average, we like to interrupt every eight seconds. Um, I'm just giving Amy a chance to recoup <laughs> re- here too. But right. I had a, I had a lady yesterday, and um, it took me 50 minutes of an hour appointment to get her story. But there was n- there was no way, no way, I was going to try and make that any faster, because right. she so needed to tell me this seven year history and the post traumatic stress of breastfeeding and childbirth and all of that, because none oh. of the other stuff. None of the other stuff is relevant until we know that, you know?
2: Right, so sweet Anne listened to me and then she did a very thorough examination. She made me feel very safe. She made me feel like she knew what she was doing. And then she pronounced that I had SI joint dysfunction and my pelvis was all shifted and out of place and the pop that I heard was probably my SI ligaments, plural, um, tearing. And so that they were probably completely torn, and so my pelvis was flopping about. And this is this is where the explanation gets a little scary, but we'll deal with that in a moment. But yes, so I now have this visual of um, like an ankle ligament, which you know is a fairly thin piece. There's a lot of them, but you know it, it's like a singular thread in my head. And um, this singular thread in my head that's holding my pelvis together has broken and, and is disconnected. And so I'm not entirely certain what my pelvis is holding onto my body with, but whatever was used to be there is definitely not because that sound was really disturbing. And um, she also explained that my core was weak as, as a division one swimmer that was capable of squatting and and bench pressing and holding three minute planks and you know potentially one of the fastest people in the water but my my core was weak and I, I just needed to figure out how to activate my transverse abdominis and multifidus and that would hold my pelvis together so that it wouldn't hurt do you know how hard it is to say that still
1: I can I can I think I can see Anthony's nostrils flaring but he's like he's got a total poker face, but there's just these nostrils
0: like I was looking at you because I'm thinking, What's Marika thinking? And I'm watching your face do little micro I'm trying I'm trying well. to
2: keep You guys are both face. holding it together really well. <laughs> Sorry, this is like the 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 cringiest
1: Yeah, okay. So things <laughs> popping and snapping. I'm hearing these pelvis flopping around, ligaments and, rupturing. And don't forget to be fair and to
0: be fair, and to, be fair to Anne. To be fair to Anne, that is the way that we were taught to explain these things. Absolutely. Um, you know, it's it's not like she was deliberately trying to do so. She was oh, trying gosh, to help no. you a lot. No,
2: no, I no. She was trying to help you
0: for sure. Yeah. And to make sure.
2: <laughs> at the time, it was very comforting to have an explanation. Yeah. Twenty years later, when things still hurt, it wasn't nearly as comforting. But at the time, it was comforting to have somebody that was so sure of what they knew. And I mean, my goodness, she found the sacral torsion and the L5 torsion that followed the sacral torsion. And I mean, she was good. She could feel all that through all that tissue. So, um, so this was the narrative that became set in my head. My pelvis is unstable. My right side is a hot floppy mess. Like my left side's okay. But when I hurt, I'm out of alignment. And, and my SI joint is partially dislocated. When I don't hurt, my SI joint is properly located and, and life is fine. And she taught me things to do at home, muscle energy techniques. And I'm going to push here and pull there and scoot this in and yeah, you know, do my bridges first to make sure everything's all lined up the way that it should be. And I had a little ritual and routine. And for years, that made me feel better. So you were
1: able to get some control over your pain by that stage, Amy?
2: Yes. um, I think it was about nine months that I was in therapy, and she used a variety of different, dare I say, tools. Um, Her particular favorite was strain-counter-strain, and so she'd hold me in very bizarre positions and and it would relax things and I really enjoyed it. And she did get on with exercises fairly quickly. I remember lots of stability ball exercises, which I thought were fun because they were challenging. And You know, I'm an athlete, dang it. <laughs> so I wanted things that were challenging, but um, to this day, I still don't know why nobody put me back in the water. Like put the fish back in the water, but they did not. And when I was discharged, um that was also a very lasting impression where she told me that my pelvis was not strong enough to have children so that carrying a baby would probably be problematic and I should consider adopting that I would I'm n- sorry you're 18 at the time uh yes that's correct that's that is true I also have two beautiful children now But um, I was told I could never swim competitively again because I wouldn't be able to handle the impact from the walls, and that I should keep my eye out for um, improvements in SI joint surgery because I was probably going to need it someday because I was so unstable. But until then, I would have the belt, the SI belt. And I remember- you
1: wearing the belt 24-7?
2: Um, only when it hurt. I'd put myself back in and then put the belt on and, and, um, I forget what the magic explanation for that was, but it lowered the pain. Yep. I did go on birth control for a year to stop my period because it seemed to get worse at different stages of my period. So that seemed kind of magical that year on birth control. And, um, as long as I did all of the right things and didn't do, and I put in air quotes too much, my pain was managed, and I was able to continue on with school. and I started volunteering for the same youth ministry that you know the gentleman had abused me in um, in a different location and got so much joy and meaning from that and giving to these high school kids and in general, not really having to think much about my pain. Um, so since I couldn't swim, um, becoming a young life leader gave me my purpose and meaning and, and was really good, but we would go to camp and do ski trips and things. And I would find those very, very difficult. Um, oddly enough, there were also places where I tended to cross paths with my abuser. So, Maybe it wasn't the activity as much as it was the environment that increased my pain. A Little combination of both, just little, little reflections as I turn around and, and see a lifetime of pain and, and kind of go, oh, but there's, maybe it wasn't just the skiing. Maybe it was also the fact that you're skiing and you know you're gonna have to go back to the lodge and Jeff is speaking tonight. In front of two hundred kids, and you don't like that. Yeah, so, yeah I can
1: imagine that's that's not a heck of a lot of fun. No, no, nope. no,
2: no. Um,
1: and and did you move on to have any more sort of therapy treatments and um,
2: medical interventions from there, Amy? I would over the years. So various things, like after I, after I graduated high school, or after I graduated college, um, I got married, and, you know, we continued to work with high school kids, and, you know, moving into that first house, you know, I I can remember flaring up after that, and so I would go find the PT. They would, again, tell me that, you know, my right side was super loose. I'd tell the story. They'd be like, oh, the pop, ligament, you broke it, tore it, clear off, I'm sure, um, And, um, the story was reinforced. I, I, by the, by the time I got to surgery, I had probably seen 24 different physical therapists, uh, over three different States, just trying to cope with flare ups, what I would now call a flare up. Um, and, and I don't, there were a couple along the way that were like, well, I don't really think it's your SI joint. And I was not willing to hear that at all. Like, no, 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 see, they figured this out because I've been through the tubes and I've been through the poking and no. And if you can't feel it, that's because maybe you're not good enough. Because you're not good enough. Like, clearly you're not an expert and you don't know what you're talking about. If you are so dumb, you can't figure out that it's my SI joint. So a little patient bias that might have slowed my own healing because I only wanted the expert in the SI joint not the new grad, not the one that, you know, didn't think the SI joint could move or be problematic or that maybe there were other explanations for pain. Like that was just uneducated to me. You just didn't know what you were talking about. So I wasn't gonna waste my time with you. And that really did a disservice to me as a patient. And I wish I wish I could go back and talk to myself and say, you know, you really should listen to another explanation. Quit holding quite so tightly to this one. It's not going to be hard though
0: because it's such a it's such a normal thing to do to you know when, when you've had an explanation that you like that makes sense to you it it makes it it gives you a filter from which to to judge other people because you feel like you're on the right path you know
2: oh absolutely
1: and and to be fair amy you got better like she that your pain improved it did so then yeah. that, that fit into you know that all made sense then yeah I had this put back into place my pain got better therefore that was what was causing my pain
2: and so we're just going to keep doing that except when the kids were young so I'd gone through two pregnancies those were fairly uneventful I mean I would say yes there was an increase in pain but nothing that I felt was like unusual for gaining 25 to 35 pounds and growing a human inside of you. Like I rated, um, I rated my labor pains at transition at a four out of 10. (laughs) Uh, the nurse asked if I'd already had medicine and I said, no, I haven't had any medicine. Why? And she said, no, <laughs> nobody rates it this low. And I was like, oh, it's really not that bad. are like, I, I can do
1: pain. I've got pain. I know oh, pain.
0: <laughs> when is the pain going to start? Because I've been through a lot of pain already.
2: Right. And like, that's like reflecting back on that, even the nervousness with, you know, having my son, like, I really do. I reflect on that back now. And I'm like, man, you want to talk about purpose and meaning and, and like, ascribing that to our pain. Like I had definitely been in pass out levels of pain. So like an actual 10 where I am unconscious because the pain is so bad. My body's like, and good (laughs) night childbirth with no drugs. These contractions come and go. They stop. I get to breathe. There's going to be a baby at the end. Like it wasn't, that big of a deal so like even Connor's head coming through I think that I was still like I was like okay that might be like a six like are we gonna be that's gonna be done soon right (laughs) but but I knew it was gonna end like the Connor was not going to be stuck in my birth canal forever like eventually they were either going to do a c-section or he was going to come out and there would be an end to this labor pain where the SI pain, that didn't end. I mean, that was constant and scary because after the kids, all of the tips and tricks weren't working quite as well. Like that muscle energy technique stuff wasn't working quite as well. And, and I'd gone off birth control cause you know, I wanted babies. Um, And after my daughter was born, my husband and I were really struggling, uh, relationally, and I had gone off staff to take care of my kids. So purpose and meaning I was struggling to find. And, um, the pain just kind of descended like a cloud. And I can remember, um, my husband was asked to leave staff, young life staff. So that was our income and we had to start a new business. And I remember saying, I don't think that this is a good idea. I think you need to work for someone else. And he was adamant that we were going to try and that business failed, which put us in a position where we had to sell our home and move away from my support system. And when we got back to Illinois, um, I didn't know anybody, my pain was, this was like 2005, and my pain was at an all-time high, and I could not get it back under control. And I remember I started mixing um, muscle relaxants and alcohol because it was the only thing that would bring me any kind of relief, and uh, it would knock me out. Like, I'd, sleep was the only time that the pain wasn't present. And I remember thinking, I don't really want to plan to commit suicide, but I really, really, really can't live like this anymore. Like the flares became constant instead of occasional. The loneliness was overwhelming. I don't think I've ever felt any more alone in my entire life. And it was me and my pain. And my pain was the only thing I had at that point there there was no relationship there was no sitting there was no going out with friends um i didn't even want to talk to my best friend on the phone anymore like i did the best i could to be semi present for the kids i was on tramadol as needed and i wasn't i was taking it as prescribed and not even every day but it dulled me like i couldn't think anymore I couldn't smile anymore. Like I look back at pictures and I just, I feel like my eyes just look dead. I don't remember a lot of my kids like grade school years because everything was just consumed by this pain. So I heard Anne in the back of my head saying, it'll get to a point where you'll probably need surgery. So I started looking into surgeries in about 2005 to see if, you know, there was anything other than this traditional open surgery where they like, seemed like they just kind of got you like a fish and stuck stuff back together with screws. And that seemed terrifying. And I didn't need my bones screwed together. I needed somebody to fix the ligament, right? Cause the, that darn singular SI joint ligament is what's, causing all this ruckus and if we could just get somebody to sew that back together, I'd be better. Well, nobody was doing that. Nobody could, nobody could really explain to me that what, what a multi-axle joint meant that it moved in a bunch of different directions. And actually if you, uh, dear listener, if, if you're oh so curious, you should probably Google SI joint ligament cadaver. And basically it's like a big meat pie. Like they, there's so many ligaments and they overlap so much that like, I'm not really sure what they thought was torn. And if it was completely ripped apart, why we couldn't see that on an MRI. Oh,
1: I was actually looking around me, Amy, to see if I have my pelvis. Cause usually there's a pelvis sitting on my desk, but <laughs> not but right now no pelvis with all the ligaments. Is- I have my, I have my pelvis here, but you know, my model pelvis.
2: Yes. Well, I hope, and I hope you have your pelvis with you today.
1: I'm sitting on mine.
2: (laughs) But yeah, so oddly, no surgeries like to tighten the SI ligaments like there are for your, you know, ankle sprains. I was hoping, but no such luck. Um, But so I'm in this incredibly dark place. Incredibly dark. And it was like that for years. I finally went to see it because I'd given up on, me- I'd given up on medicine being able to help me. Like I, I'd, I'd been through the 23 physical therapists at that point And I was, I was disillusioned. Orthopedic surgeons hadn't really helped. GPs had prescribed drugs and physical therapy, but um, no answers that were lasting. And I started to have neck and shoulder pain. They found a couple herniated discs. They wanted to do surgery and replace my discs. And I was like, I, I think that physical therapy thing might be a good thing to try before we go, like cutting my neck open and passing, I don't know, carotid arteries and jugular veins and things that like, I like for living, like I just, one bad day for the surgeon is a really, really, really bad day for me. And I'm thinking maybe we'll give that physical therapy thing one more try, right? And that- I'm sorry, you had some neck pain. Uh-huh.
1: So the answer is replacing your discs.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had some tingling and numbness and couldn't really lift anything with my left hand, but you know, the disc herniations, they were so terrible. I was never, I, you know, I was going to be crippled crippled. So we're going to cut them out and replace them. Keep breathing. You'll be okay. I promise. So because I had had success with physical therapy in the past, I decided that sounded way better than a two level disc replacement in my neck. And I said, I tell you what, if that doesn't work, then I'm like, then let's cut. I'm cool. Right. So that's when I met Tim Highland, and um, I am the model patient. If you tell me two sets of ten, I will do two sets of ten. If you tell me three sets of five, I will do three sets of five. If you tell me to stand on my head in the corner for two minutes a day and it will make my pain go away, I will do. So I met Tim, and he was very positive that we were not going to need neck surgery. That this was just a little bump in the road, and we were going to we were gonna clear this up and I'd be on my way. And um, there was a lot of talk about posture and muscle imbalances, and, and I did a lot of chicken neck stuff and, and pushing my head into, into the wall and um, oh, definitely pulling my shoulders back. But in six weeks, I could pick a gallon of milk up out of my refrigerator and the pain that was radiating down my shoulder was, was gone. So that was really good. So Tim must be magic, right? Because this has been going on for a long time. And I'm like totally healed now. So I'm back in the good graces of physical therapy. Towards one of our last um, appointments, Tim looks at me. I bet he wishes he'd never said this now. Tim looks at me and he says, has anybody ever mentioned like they, I don't, like your SI joint? And I was like, "You know what an SI joint is? <laughs> like, wow, you really are magic." And uh, I was like, I, "I, I am, I am aware of the joint. Like, I'm not willing to give anything away, right? Because I'm ready to graduate instead of being kicked out of therapy. And I just want to graduate from something. Like, I want to be sick. I want to be the successful patient instead of the like. So your insurance isn't going to pay for anymore, or." You failed to progress, so good luck. I was like, no, I want that T-shirt, damn it. (laughs) So Tim says, yeah, I think maybe you have like SI joint dysfunction, and if you're willing, I'd like to help you with that. Really? I would like help with that. So Tim, God, love him. He must have taken like five classes in nine months on the SI joint and read everything available, you know, within his silo on the internet to to try to come up with ways to help this poor, 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 unstable pelvis of mine. And uh, where we landed was that it was unfixable. That snap I heard must have been the SI ligament tearing and that I was gonna need something more permanent because at least at this point, He completely believes my core is as strong as it is ever gonna get. And I'm back to holding three minute planks, and my ass is still literally on fire. Like, so.
0: Literally on fire.
2: Literally I was like, I was gonna jump in and
1: go, maybe figuratively?
2: No, no, there were flames coming out of the back side.
0: Oh, you do that kind of party trick too, do you?
2: I do! every single glute exercise known to man i did it and i did it well and apparently you know those those lazy dumb glutes that just so i i can't even uh yeah so they had uh, yeah what they amnesia? just forgot
0: they just forgot to do their job you know
2: they, for, they forgot i mean i was walking but they they forgot how to work <laughs> <laughs> So, um, so Tim was kind of the like last straw where I was like, well, this guy can't fix me. I'm, I'm unfixable. Right. And I'm going to sew back in a little bit of some of my internal monologue from being sexually abused was that I'm permanently broken. No man is ever going to want me. I'm damaged goods. Like I have had sex with somebody that is not my husband in a Christian world that's not okay. I'm broken. I'm broken beyond repair. So my body is broken. My spirit is broken. My emotions are broken. My husband is emotionally absent at that point in our marriage. Like he had checked out. He'd just checked out. And I interact with people on the internet in an SI joint forum and my physical therapist. And that is my world. I change clothes on Tuesdays and Thursdays when I shower about a half hour before I go to therapy, because I don't want this man to know that I'm not showering or changing my clothes. I don't want anybody to know that. So if you had met me, in your office, I would have been smiling and gregarious and told you all about my friends. I just would have left off the fact that they were on the other side of a computer screen. But it sounded like I had social support. It sounded like I had people in my world. I would speak to you kindly about my husband because good Christian women don't speak poorly about their marriages. We don't do that. It's unkind. It's not the way to help heal a marriage. So I had all of these, oh, we'll go soft and say hard things going on. But from the outside, I was a smiling, intelligent, friendly woman. I couldn't possibly be in that much pain, right? Not the kind of pain that would cause me to literally take two hours to shower to try to shave my legs. That I would wear the same clothes three days in a row because it hurt too much to take my pants off. Like that was too much that I had four usable hours in my day. I don't see the record button.
0: Oh, oh, there I screwed it is. up.
2: I didn't want anybody to realize the depth of the pain and all of the things that I couldn't do and wasn't doing, or that I only had four usable hours in my day. So I would get the kids up, get them off to school, go back and lay down. I would crawl down the stairs, make myself a meal, stay in the living room, chat on the computer. The kids would get home. I would pretend to be okay, get them off to their various activities. And by this point, I was having friends, like the one friend I had in town would pick them up because I I couldn't I couldn't tolerate any more sitting by five, six, seven in the evening when I needed to get in the car to go pick the kids up. And even just getting into the car, the process of getting out of the house, getting into the car, getting out of the car, getting the kids into the activity, to get back into the car, to get out of the car, to get back into the house. Like the, even just thinking about that mentally, like it, it was too much strain on my body. Like my, my pain would increase just thinking about that. And um, I didn't tell anybody because I felt like I was just gonna be told it was all in my head still. Like, how could that be? How could thinking about the fact that nobody was really there to help me, like how could that make my pain worse? How could thinking about getting in and out of the car and like how taxing that was gonna be, how could that possibly make my pain worse? Well, there's explanations now. But um, at the time I didn't have them and nobody had shared anything about mirror neuro- neurons or predictive processing or like all of the super cool things that we know now that pain, isn't just about tissue, that it's about so much more. A- and I do wish there, somebody had been able to, to tell me that throughout those years. But by the time Tim did by, well, failure to progress came up again as a therapy term. And, um, in 2010, Tim said, Amy, I think you need to look into something more permanent. And when I say think, I mean you do, but I can't tell you what. So that sent me on like another nine month internet search for answers to what to do for an unstable SI joint, because it must be more unstable now than it was when everything started because the pain doesn't stop now, right? And I can't get this joint to stay located. Can't get it to stay in and that's why it hurts. So um, my journey led me to a physical therapist and surgeon in Georgia. And once again, the gift of listening was given and belief, and being told I believe you. I know exactly what's wrong with you, and I know exactly how to fix this. You've been through all of the therapy that you need, and the belt, and the injections, and the scans, and what we need to do is we need to put screws in your SI joint to stop the movement. And she pretty much um, came up with the same configuration that that very first physical therapist did that helped me and was so full of confidence and told me that 95% of people that had the surgery got their lives back and this would be the fix that I needed. And by the time I went to see her, the only thing I wanted was a fix. Like I was, I was exhausted. I was exhausted from trying and enduring and coping and pushing and pretending. And I couldn't, I had gotten to the point I couldn't pretend anymore, right? So I remember sitting in her office and thinking, Amy, you know this is way too good to be true. These stats aren't realistic. Her explanation is way too smooth. Like, you don't believe her. You Like, it's this conversation in the back of my head, Right. And the rational part of me is like, you don't believe this woman. Why are you listening? Like, and who is this surgeon that lets a physical therapist tell him what type of surgery to do? Like, how does this relationship make any sense? And of course she doesn't tell him, she merely recommends, right? So you've
1: just spent five years living in hell, basically.
2: Yes, yes. Yeah. So I have been, I have so been in... Light, this is
1: this is a light at the end of the tunnel. This yes. This offer. yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So I have, I have, I have been prescribed tramadol for the last five years. I have been taking the, the Flexeril with the alcohol, probably I would say probably weekly at this point, not daily, but like definitely once a week to get a break from the pain. I have no idea how my kids are doing in school. I'm not even sure I know what grade they're in. Like I'm not living, I'm existing. And it's been five long years of that. And in that office, I do remember just surrendering, like intelligence and just being like, I don't like you, it, Amy, just shut up. It doesn't matter that this doesn't make sense. It doesn't matter that this doesn't match anything that you know about anything. And nobody has a 95% success rate at anything except failing. Like, this is insane. And I, I was done. I was just, I, I remember saying just fix me. If you know how to fix me, just fix me. Because I had failed. All of the therapists had failed. The injections had failed. Like there was no answer. So I had three screws inserted into my left side and two into my right and came out of surgery and was told that the pain would be minimal, right? So I'm thinking childbirth right? This is going to be like a four. I'm living at a nine. This is going to be easy peasy lemon squeezy. Well, I had morphine on board and I was like, this is a little bit more than a little bit of pain. Like, this is a lot of pain. This is, this is, this is an unacceptable level of pain. And, uh, They got my pain managed in the hospital, and I was told that it was, you know, I I had grown sensitive to the narcotics because I was taking them regularly, to which I said, no, no, I take maybe four tramadol a month. I don't, not for a day, for a, a month, because I don't use them as prescribed like I should. I take them when it's really bad. Um, so I put my, it's got to get better hat on and, and decided that part of my problem was I just wasn't thinking positively enough. So through this recovery, I was going to be the most positive patient that I could possibly be and no negative thoughts about my recovery were going to enter my head. I was going to be Susie sunshine.
1: You are rainbows and unicorns.
2: Oh, coming out my rear. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. Puppies and unicorns and rainbows and nothing was going to deter me from getting better. Right. So uh, I managed the flight home and in the back of my head, the whole, like for this 10 month recovery from surgery in the back of my head, uh, I don't do Susie Sunshine well, never have. And I I mean, dang, I'm trying, I am trying so hard. And, um, in the back of my head, there is this other narrative that never comes out anywhere where I'm like, this fucking sucks and I'm not getting better and I should be better than I am by now. And, and like Susie Sunshine is like, no, 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 don't think like that. Don't, don't. I don't know
1: Amy, I Amy, I'm picturing you with like, you know, like a little angel on one shoulder and a little devil on the other, you know, like the little Disney cartoon. Yes.
2: That is pretty much exactly what was actually happening. Like, and and so the narrative that is coming out of my mouth on my blog and and in the SI joint forum is like, I'm getting better every day.
0: How, how, it, long, how long are we through post-op?
2: Uh, we're we'll call this ten months post-op. So you're you're right around the corner. You are right around like Anthony's lurking in the internet, waiting to knock the happy Disney character by <laughs> his shoulder. He wants to kick that puppy. Kick that puppy in the head.
0: So, oh puppy!
2: <laughs> little, little Mickey Mouse just sitting there. No. So the um the thing that has happened in the online world with me is like i am better i'm moving better i'm i'm not in as much pain my brain fog is is disappearing so like improvement is absolutely happening but at 10 months post op i really thought i was going to be like normal and i am so very not normal like foam rolling and icing and tens unit and i, I was still on anti-inflammatories like 8 months post op i mean come on now like that is not a normal healing process and um, Tim is ever vigilant working beside me and and just keeps telling me that it's muscle imbalances and as soon as those balance themselves out I'll be better and I do remember asking him in the clinic one day like okay so if it takes six to eight weeks to build muscle we've been at this for like 10 months when exactly am I going to be balanced and strong enough that I stop hurting I don't think he answered that. That's a fair question. Right? Like, at what point do I become balanced? Because Lord knows my pelvis is no longer unstable. I've got five screws in it. It's not going anywhere. So I don't care who you are. I'm not believing that anymore. But um, I still hurt. So the new explanation is the muscle imbalances. That's gone on for months. And I'm kind of at the end of myself thinking, I guess this is like, this is just my new normal. Like... It still burns. It still hurts. I still have, like, if I move wrong, then ouch. Or, well, I need to really think about engaging my gluteals when I walk around the block. And so, like, I'm tapping my right butt cheek when I'm walking to try to wake it up. You know, because that's normal. We do that. Right? Doesn't everybody walk down the mall like that? I don't know. I think it'd be like,
1: mm, I don't know. I'm just imagining... The looks you get walking down the street, slapping your butt.
2: Right. It's um. You know, it leads to other conversations that are maybe uncomfortable.
1: Hmm. So we're, we're just sorry. Just to clarify, you're we're at 2010, right? We're this 2011. 11. So we're about five and a half. I am sorry. Within a year post-op. Yep. 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 So
2: injury happened in 1992. It is now 2011. Yeah. Okay. I am. I am bad-er-er, but I am still in pain.
0: When was the operation?
2: January twenty eleven, and we are summer, summer fall.
0: So the middle of the year.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just for the um, international listeners that live in the southern <laughs> industry.
2: <laughs> right, right. Because uh, yeah, your summer is is my winter. Um, yeah. So internally, I'm becoming really dissatisfied with the narrative that I have. And I went back to the PT in Georgia to take her class on the SI joint because I was going to go back to school to become a PTA to rid the world of SI joint dysfunction. And she wanted me to get up and tell everybody like how amazing I was doing after the surgery and that I was pain free. And I remember saying, I can't do that. That wouldn't be true. And the woman that listened and understood and was going to fix me looked at me and said, you will tell those people that you are pain free young lady because I fixed you. And this is in your head because you just don't want to get better. Um, betrayal is a word that comes to mind. How in the world could that be? How could she say that to me? She's seen me fight. She's seen me ask questions. I've brought research papers to her saying, what is this? I bought physical therapy books and read the works of you know yanda janda call it, however you know upper cross lower cross i was reading the papers and got the book and i read the malalignment syndrome and I, at this point i know who fortin is because he's got all of these papers about the si joint and fleming and papers on the anatomy and i'm just a patient trying to find answers learning how to read research so that i can Fix myself and I'm pissed. Oh, I'm pissed at this point. And other stories are coming back from Georgia that are similar to this, but so much worse and, and just so much worse. You can read my blog if you want to.
1: I'm feeling like her 95% success rate might not be entirely
2: accurate, Amy. I, well uh, you know interestingly enough I asked for the paper that produced the results mm-hmm. which uh was never it never material. Yeah. No. Yeah, nor the methods for the research study. But yeah. what are you going to do? Right. Yeah. It got lost maybe in the shuffle somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. so so now we're so
1: now we're at a point in 2011 where the the surgery wasn't the 100% success rate that she promised and now it's back to being entirely your fault because you probably did something wrong and you you don't want to get
2: better or maybe yep. you didn't do your you don't correctly. want it bad enough amy um, i don't, I, don't do a
0: Susie I, Sunshine.
2: I mean i just wasn't thinking positively enough
0: try harder
2: yeah. i don't feel like you've dedicated enough
1: time to your sij right i i mean i'm
0: sure not I'm enough just... reading not enough reading i'm
1: actually just thinking amy if if someone were to test us on the sij I think you know about a hundred times more about it than I do.
2: I, I will take that and say, pro- probably at this point. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that became apparent as I started advocating for other patients and asking surgeons questions. And the surgeons were like, I don't even know what to do with that. Because I said, well, we keep slapping the posterior side together. How do we know it's not anterior ligaments? this positioning matter, what we keep putting people face down. Well, what if we needed to go the other way? And like these surgeons just looked at me like, huh? Yeah, those are interesting questions. Nobody's studied that. And I'm like, yeah, well, maybe we should. (laughs) So um, I've read a lot. I almost wish that like I had that much like Pokemon knowledge or something useful up up in there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Pokemon? (laughs) Something useful. I know all about the SI, but I wish I did more Pokemon. I
2: wish I knew more about Pokemon or like baseball or something. I mean like at least, at least I could talk to other people about that. (laughs) Yes, so I wish I had some uh, non-atomical knowledge about something way more fun. But yes, so I did it harder -er -er and better -er -er and longer. -er -er -er. And um, I was swimming. Tim, bless his heart, did put me back in the water. So like I was happy. Oh, swimming makes me so happy. And I remember it it, it was still way too long post-op, but Tim did put me back in the water. Thank you, Tim. And that started good things like that started moving in a good trajectory. Um, I went back to school, and then this annoying guy on the internet starts challenging me and saying that maybe I didn't need surgery.
0: Who would do something like that?
1: Oh, I can't even imagine.
0: I'm not sure I said you didn't need surgery. I said, maybe what if you yeah. Okay. Probably. What if you? What if it wasn't this? When, when was?
2: When was this? How you know, many years ago? Twelve. 12 Eleven. Twelve. 12 yeah.
0: Two
2: thousand twelve. Where? So I've gone back to school. I've started grabbing my prereqs for PTA school because oddly, a master's in theology and an undergraduate in education don't like get you the stuff you need to go back to getting associates. Um. But yeah. So. And you said how how dare
1: you Mr physiodetective man Who the hell do you
2: think you are Which is pretty much exactly the stance that I took
0: It was like poking a mama bear who had a few hundred cubs behind her
2: Yep yep I am very protective of of those that I feel compassion for and and you looked like a threat So I'm gonna puff myself up and I'm gonna say nobody hurts these cubs. Uh-uh. We've had enough pain and suffering from your ilk. We're done with you unless you can show that you know pain and understand what it's like. And you kept shoving papers at me that were pissing me off. So
0: damn it, breaking biases and beliefs.
2: Right.
1: So we got on <laughs> This is not how all good friendships start, I have to say.
2: I mean, coffee probably would have been better, but, like, that darn ocean in the middle. (laughs) But, I, I, like, as awful as this friendship started, like, he engaged my mind and nobody else was really doing that. And he tolerated my belligerent questions and actually seemed to enjoy it, because our friend is a little off. Oh, I love it, I love
0: it. Who would have thunk her? People asking questions makes me excited.
2: Like, you know, so really the fact that I was so angry and he's so stubborn was actually like the perfect, like, mix to start this awesome friendship. <laughs> Prove it. And he's like, sure. Paper, 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 paper. Read that, Amy. Ah. <laughs>
1: uh... Yep. He, actually, I can imagine you would love that, Anthony. Because, okay. Amy, oh, you're I up did. in his face going, no, you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm.
0: And then I just whip yeah. out the evidence and poke holes in all the beliefs. And it was really good. Like
1: It was. It was I'm assuming good. this process would have taken... This would have gone over, over a space. Very long, right? Like, yeah. yeah. because
2: yeah. Months. Yeah.
1: And do you, do you think there was anything in particular, Amy, that turned a corner for you? Or do you feel like it was a bit of attrition? It was just like over time, you know, like the water hitting the rocks, just gently taking away some of these thought processes?
2: So part of it is it really was confirmation bias for the devil on my shoulder that was like, this has to be so much more than tissue, right? So the the dissenting voice in the back of my head, which, you know, now I go, oh, that's cognitive dissonance. Like there was, uh, I, I disliked the way that it came at me, but the information itself was actually comforting. Before we started sparring, I had read Explain Pain, which I had literally thrown against the wall three times while reading because I was so angry that pain was being described as an experience and not tissue damage. And the idea, because it was so confronting, right? Like I've gone through all of this and all somebody had to tell me was that pain's a little bit more than just tissue. Like I could have identified some stressors back then and been like, oh yeah, uh, my entire being feels like it's under threat. Maybe if I talked about the sexual abuse or confronted the swim coach and said, I just want to get back in the water. Can somebody let me swim? Like." If I had thought that those were reasonable things to say, who, we might not be having a podcast because nothing would have happened. And there would have been nothing to write a book about. I mean, like, there'd be no story. I would have just been a college athlete that had a blip and then got back in the water. But, um, the, the turning point was the Tilburg paper.
0: I hate 1998 that paper. Tolberg paper.
2: Hate that paper.
0: <laughs>
2: Small sample size, long and short of it. They looked at people and providers and they said, hey, we agree your SI joint is wonky. We're going to change it. And uh, we're, we're going to look at that internally. <laughs> Patient and provider both agree yep, you, you were wonky. We did the thing. Now you're not wonky. And when we actually look inside, yeah, nothing changed. I still don't have words for like the emotion that that creates in me. Like I felt lied to because I got hurt in 1992. A paper came out in 98. It was now 2012. What the hell? Why didn't everybody know this? Why is this? Why is this Aussie shoving this paper across me at the internet? Like, why doesn't everybody know this? And then why, in 2014, am I still being taught as a PTA that the joint moves and we got to put it back in with the muscle energy techniques? I mean, I literally sat through. I, well, I, I didn't sit quietly, but. I mean, the SI joint portion of my education, I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Like, we're going to teach this to a room full of 30 students as though it's God's honest truth. And, and <laughs> that's one paper that says that we've got some problems with this narrative. Like, I can bring you like a truck full of them. Why are we still teaching this? So yeah, that paper was my, like, that was my breaking point where I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, you have destroyed my world and I feel completely lied to and I don't know what to do now. And so then I kind of floated through the abyss of crossing that chasm from my old narrative to a new one. And, um, it, it feels a little bit like Harry Potter wandering through the forest where you're like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? I feel
1: like that would have been like being thrown in a tumble dryer or something, right, Amy? Like, it's just, holy crap. That is totally turned my world upside down and back to front. Back
2: to front and upside down. Just messed with everything everything. that's done on everything. And so I basically just did a deep dive into reading research and like literally whatever I could find. One of my defining characteristics is if I can't find local resources, I will find them somewhere. And so thank God for Facebook and just starting to fall into different clinician groups. And, and just, I just found all the right people, right? Like I found people that talked eloquently about these things and, you know, followed the physio detective around and read and read and read and read. And and occasionally would put my head out and kind of interact and see what happened. And started listening to podcasts and met Sarah and Sandy from up in Chicago. And like, I just, I was finally with people that were open to me asking questions as opposed to like the PT in Georgia that was like, no, 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 that's just not the way it works. Right. And they enjoyed my curiosity. And because they enjoyed my curiosity, I felt safe to ask questions. And then as I asked questions, I started taking these pieces, like pain is a response to threat, turning around, looking at my own story and going, my body's in threat, my sexuality's in threat, my marriage is in threat, like every, everything. Like, and, and I can go back and I can see, oh, when I left Maryland and I left my entire support system and the people that loved me more than anybody else and knew all of my secrets and my demons, and then I had to leave them, that's very threatening because I was going to be all alone with a husband that completely ignored me and, like, trying to take care of my children on my own. I lost my tribe. Well... And then there was, I also moved a lot of really heavy stuff. I wasn't, I wasn't exercising a ton or lifting stuff at that point. So a little bit of tissue, tissue stuff, a lot of chemical soup of loneliness and fear, and boom, we got another match. And there was nothing to ever calm all of that back down. So when I'm back in school and I'm reconnecting in a new way and I've got a new mission and a new passion, like it's no surprise to me that that's when my pain finally really started resolving and the information that I'm getting from outside of school that I'm safe to move. Like they're really, this muscle imbalance thing probably not as big of a deal as it is in my head and that I I can move. And so I've gone back to swimming and I'm going to do a, the swimming leg of a triathlon with my best friend. Right. Like, and I'm going to travel for that. And well, wouldn't you know it? I came in first in my age group and third overall. Woohoo, well right? done. <laughs> like, and I hadn't swam in a very long time. So that, you know, so, and, and then by this time, now I'm really following our dear friend and, and I'm, I'm seeing how piling up the wins in the little things like I'm seeing that in my practice as a therapist and in my life and it was like that last piece that just kind of dropped everything in place and I was like you know what I am going to be okay I'm going to be better than okay
0: when 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 do you think that was in terms of years because you know I have my perspective on things of course Uh, half of the fight
2: (laughs) right I would say I really started to believe that in 2014 so before I met you like before we met in person um, and I could see it but then after 2014 it became about like taking away the specific fears so like the step ups that we did on the box and, it was uh, a
0: jump. It wasn't a step. You jumped. <laughs> yeah,
2: well, okay. But, but it became, well, and then I got hurt again and that went entirely differently.
0: Like, that I got wasn't injured, from the jump. By the way.
2: No, 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 no. I got injured in school. <laughs> and so then I got like, then I got the opportunity to to apply all of these things that I knew and that let like, my recovery from that was like night and day different. But you know, in talking about removing some of those fears, like I know that there's still a couple left in me, like things that I don't do. And um, I had an opportunity to go ice skating with a new friend recently. And I was very nervous. And so I told my friend, I said, look, I would love to go ice skating with you, but this is something that I am actually, like ice skating and skiing are two things that like they, they make me go, I don't know that I want to do this. And so my friend said, don't worry about it. I got your back. We're going to be fine. And um, I got out on the ice, and I was kind of tentative at first. But then, you know, we started goofing off, and, and I skated for a whole two hours, and there wasn't even a twinge of pain. And I just kept thinking, I'm with somebody safe that I enjoy, and I'm doing something that's fun. And it, it changed everything. But it's not positive thinking, right? Like, I didn't go in thinking this isn't going to hurt. I went in thinking, I just want to have fun. And if things start to hurt, I'm going to tell my friend, like I need to switch things up because this does not feel good right now. And i have given myself permission to exit gracefully. And I think that made all the difference in the world. So back in the water, back on skates, on, you know, Maybe I'll go skiing one of these
1: days. What an amazing journey, Amy. Like, wow. I I feel like I knew about 10% of that. And that's just, yeah, that's blown my mind.
0: Even I didn't know all of that for a long, long time.
1: That is quite the journey. And it sounds like you now, a understand your pain a lot better, but you have a lot of strategies in place that you can trust, trust in your body a little bit more but also know that you're going to have flare ups there are going to be times where it's going to be sore but now it's not diving down into that deep abyss again it's like okay i have some
2: pain well the crazy thing is i've actually been pain free for 6 years yeah i so i don't have daily i don't have daily pain i don't even have flares anymore like it's gone wow yeah and and I am definitely, I am definitely testing the limits of my tissue and, and my ability at this point. And nothing has rattled that these days.
1: Six years pain free.
2: Yeah, yeah. All
0: right. Well, some injuries, like you know, there yeah. was that time, yeah. like yeah, anyone but, would, but not the pain like before, right?
2: Not, not what I would call my familiar pain. Yeah, that's amazing. So, like you know, when I went back to swimming. Like, I, w- I went back to compete yeah. in the fall. Um, ended up qualifying for Masters Nationals after five weeks back in the water, which was outstanding. And like, yeah, I have soreness and like...
0: I'd just like you- to say that I believed in you. You didn't believe in you, but I believed in you. I just want to say I, that. I'm
2: just, I'm just right. curious, Amy. How, Amy, how was that first tumble turn for you? Um, it was fine because I'd done a billion of them since surgery. Oh, you had. Okay. Yeah. But I dove off the block, which I haven't done. Like I hadn't raced. Right. So like the swimmers take your mark and you're pushing off a block and you're really, I mean, I would like to have been going faster.
0: You you use a racing start too, right? Which is a split stance start off a block. Whereas. My
2: right foot is back. So more pressure goes off my right foot, which would have been my involved side but yes split stance off the block and i nailed that turn hard i mean that's the only way to get ahead of everybody in a sprint so uh, are
1: you comp- are you competitive at all I amy mean? no no no, no <laughs> nah
2: no, that's
0: nah. nah like i mean we couldn't be friends if she was competitive like me
2: <laughs> I mean, that would be a terrible thing <laughs>
1: So it, it's almost like um, just listening to your story. We were sort of, there's like this list of things that sort of came up early on in the day of all the contributing factors of yeah. what was going on in your story. And then towards the end, what, what I'm hearing from you, Amy, is just all the things that have helped add into your positive comment, uh, positive column. So you're studying something that you're really interested and engaged in. And it, you know, you're obviously a highly intelligent woman who needs to use a brain like you you're a thinker <laughs> um, you need to be learning stuff right so going back to college learning something getting back in the pool creating more friendships talking about things that are outside of your sij pain it's all these things that are just going into your into your bucket. hat like always yeah. into your bucket yeah all these positive things which are
2: just turning your experience right yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And at the time, uh, you know, I would have been like, I'm just living, right? Like, I'm just living. And in the, in the book, I talk about it like my world is just slowly starting to expand. And like, there's this one, like, there's this one journal entry that I remember. And, and I said, I feel like my world is expanding from my bedroom into my house, down my street, into my neighborhood. And I feel like my life is getting bigger again. And I feel like now it's the world. I can go wherever I want. I can do whatever I want. And there was a time where the only thing I knew was my bed. And to think that a turnaround like this is possible is really something people need to consider. Because there was a time that I would have preferred to have died than to have woken up one more day in that kind of pain. And to be able to sit here and say, I'm completely pain free. And in September, I'm gonna get to travel to Australia and expand my world even more. Like, I didn't think, there was a time I didn't think that would be possible. And part of it's because somebody annoyed the fart out of me on the internet. You know, that these conversations that we have, I can be so much more important than we think, whether it's, whether it's the woman next to us on the plane or somebody in our mom's group or the dad at soccer practice, right? Like, or the person on Facebook or Instagram, like you never know who you're going to touch. And I, I know so many clinicians that are looking for the right thing to say at the right time. And there's so many conversations about putting patients in movement prison. And I, I'm a little afraid we're putting clinicians and other people in word prison. And I know I talked about parts of my story where, you know, I I laugh about the unstable pelvis comment now because I can now, but um, the best way to treat a person in pain is to treat them like a person and to see it like a relationship. And we make mistakes in communication all the time in relationships. And so as a clinician, you're going to make mistakes but the biggest mistake that you can make is not trying. So saying something is better than saying nothing. You can go back and fix it and amend it because that's what relationships are. Like I needed people like Tim and John and Anne to believe in me. I I needed them to believe my story. I needed them to listen to me. And then I needed to, I needed them to help me live. I didn't need an exercise prescription. I needed a life prescription. I needed permission to live. And it wasn't until I gave myself that that things really started to turn around.
0: With um with those interactions, you know with <laughs> with the pokey pokey that I did. Um you know the way that I remember it is that I never wrote you off. I never called you names. Um, you know, I was stubborn, like you said, like I just held my ground. Um, how important do you think challenging beliefs is, are? Um, can you tell us instances once you've had this knowledge of where, you know, you know, maybe even people double down on their beliefs instead of considering something new.
2: That's a great question. Um I'm not entirely certain that challenging beliefs really is as important as we think it is. I think I think um often when we have any kind of new experience that's successful, we can often become zealous about that and in our zealousness we want everyone else to understand and um, I was like that after surgery because I was thinking so positively that I was going to get better and I wanted everyone to be better and then when I was really better I really wanted everybody to know that you know hey wait like but your thoughts and your emotions and and all the other stuff going on in your life and the way that you think about your pain and the way that you behave and right like I mean, literally high-speed hummingbird amount of things to say um as I started to, because I was in the like I'm in the clinic now as a PTA right and I remember being so excited that I was just going to correct this woman that like oh I know you had those scans but it's really like wrinkles on the inside and so don't worry about it like we just need to get you moving and the woman was like I don't think I want to see you again I want the other PTA and I was like oh <gasps> what no but like i'm going i'm gonna save you i'm gonna rescue you i'm gonna save you i'm gonna fix you and i'm like oh now i'm doing it right like and hey
1: we've all done that oh my gosh i've done that big time gonna- i had a client look at me and go "What? too much
0: i've done it you're too telling
1: much. me it's all in my head i'm like
2: no, no 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 i'm not saying it's in your head i mean your brain's located in your head but it's not but just the, you're the- right. So, and I mean, I will never forget this woman's face. She just looked at me like, and I'm done with you. And and the relationship was broken. I couldn't, I, I couldn't fix that because I hadn't focused on her needs. I'd focused on mine. I focused on my need to be right. My need to fix my need to save and not what she actually needed to hear. So do we need to correct everybody's wrong beliefs about their spines and their pelvises and their ribs and fascia? No, no, I think we need to help them feel safe. And sometimes that includes information.
1: I I feel like that was probably perfect for you, Amy, as such a cerebral person. Yes. Because you are someone who likes to read research. And Anthony probably sussed that out really quickly. You're like, this is a woman who, she wants to know facts and figures, and she wants to read research, and I got research for you. For days. Um, But he wouldn't, and I imagine, Anthony, for many people, you just wouldn't, you would never do that, because they don't want to read research. And you're not just going to throw a whole bunch of facts at them. But you sussed her out pretty quickly.
0: I was happy. I probably was not as sophisticated. Amy has, and I quote, an intimidatingly high EQ. And this is true. And I have learned a lot about communication from just talking to Amy on Facebook, not even in person, but in person and on you know, Skype and things like that. Just learning more and more about. Oh, okay, well maybe. And you know, it's, sometimes it's not even overt where she's correcting me. It's just like, oh, I notice that she's doing that. Maybe I should do this. I notice. I notice that she's saying it this way. Maybe I should try that. Um. So you know, and and to be honest, the women's health physios who saw me on the forums, you know, have probably seen me change a little bit in the way that I ask questions as well. Um, and it's necessary. I, I, I don't pretend that I know the right way or the perfect way or have all the answers. I honestly do just love asking questions. Um, but yeah, Amy, you know, Amy was good that way. And Christy, our, our common friend, um, who also had surgery. Um, yeah, I interact with her a different way. You know, she's a very different type of person. Um, and I interact with her in a very different way during that time. And, um, you know, Lauren and, and quite a few of the others, uh, from the group who are actually genuinely interested. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, you know, you can hear their stories on Amy's podcast too, restoring you, which is, um, you know, lots of good stories. If you want more stories about pain, that's definitely where to go and get some more, um, super important, super important. Sorry. One no, it's been,
2: it's been fun. Uh, it's been fun chatting with a lot of those women that I went through that time with. And, um, you know, uh, almost all of us, almost all of us are pain free at this point that we're in my little cohort. And the the stories, if you really listen, are so very similar. But the journeys that we took to get there are so very different. But at the end of the day, it is about calming things down and confronting fears and building things back up. And, um, you know, Anthony has been an encouragement in my professional life as well to step out and, you know, do that in a telehealth kind of way. And it's been so much fun being able to work with clients internationally and just have a conversation like this over Zoom and be like, all right, let's what do you want to do and how are we going to get there? Let's come up with a plan together.
1: That sounds like a really nice segue, Amy, into talking about the pain coaching that you offer. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
2: Sure. Um, I offer consults if you're just, you've got like one burning question you just cannot come to terms with, especially if you've got questions about SI joint anatomy, we can answer that really quickly. Don't ask me about food.
1: <laughs> Tell me about that little tiny ligament that can right. rupture easily.
2: Just that one. And then we're going to, we'll pull up a Google image together and discuss that there's more than one. No. Um, but so I do, I do consults and you pick the amount of time that you need and we discuss your question and then you toddle off back into your world and I toddle off back into mine. Um, and then I also offer a coaching program for people that are trying to really figure out how to get back to the things that they love. And um, I want autonomy for you as the patient. And so I have a couple different packages that you can pick from. And then you've got time to use these sessions with me. So we meet, we, I listen to your story, we discuss what that thing is that you want to do. I've had um, I've had people that simply want to sit for 15 minutes so they can have coffee with a friend. I've had other people that want to get back to kickboxing, had to do a little research on kickboxing, but that's all right. (laughs) Um, so, I mean, it can be as simple as I, I want to sit with my friends for 15 minutes and I can't sit for more than a minute right now to like, I want to run a marathon and I don't know how to do that. Like, and uh we set up the coaching package and we spend time talking and then you've got more access to me via you know facebook messenger is usually how we've been doing it but you know you're having a panic in between week one and week three and you just need me to tell you life's going to be okay like i'm deliriously happy to be the cheerleader that says it's going to be okay like we're gonna get there And um, I've got one woman that's doing a lot of emotional work right now. Uh, I wrote a 28-day journal to kind of help you think through some of the different emotional aspects to the journey and things, places we might get stuck. And she's working through that right now. So she PMs occasionally and is like, okay, that was really upsetting and I don't know what to do with that. Right? And then we chat for a little bit and, you know, uh, collect more information on the next visit. and keep moving forward because sometimes it's so overwhelming to try to keep moving forward.
0: And these sessions are not like your typical turn up to a, um, to a physio and then get your story done in five, 10 minutes. And then I'm going to assess this. And then we're going to like, just so that people understand what they're coming uh, to get because it it is different and it's so necessary, right?
2: Yes, and it's literally different with every person. So, like, I I have one where we do we share, you know, I show her exercises and stretches. I have another one where we do a little bit of that, but we do a lot of talking and exploring. So, one of the things I love about being in this space is I can literally give you the thing that you need. I don't have to give you the thing the insurance company wants me to give you. I can give you what you actually need. And the funny thing is, they always know. I have yet to have, I have yet to work with somebody that didn't know what they actually needed. Might have had to pull it from them a little bit, but they know. And I I think being able to be in a place in a position where I can do that really makes me kind of deliriously happy.
0: Tell us about the book, Amy. You mentioned the book. What is the book? Tell us about
2: it. The book is called Restoring Venus, a journey from chronic pain to possibilities. And it comes out March 14th on Amazon. Um, It has been the last year of my life digging through the rubble of my story and lots of tears and um, clarifications and phone calls and and probably should have had a counselor through that, but I didn't. (laughs) (laughs) but um, just such a cathartic experience to be able to turn back around um, and go through the journal that I kept post-op and layer in the reflections of Amy now to Amy that was going through uh, surgery and recovery and um, I really wanted this to be a work that A patient or a clinician could read and almost hear the inside thoughts in my head Um, because I, I think that's it's one thing to read research it's one thing to hear somebody else say that life is hard but to actually be inside of my head and my emotions as I was going through it was really the gift that I wanted to be able to give somebody and
0: I know I know just because I was there a lot for you. <laughs> um it was a struggle to get um, you know, people who were helping you just to understand what's what you're going through and and um you know, how to even articulate and you know, we did a lot of talking about what went on and yeah, it it's it's exciting. Um, it's exciting. I haven't read the final bit of the book yet, the final few chapters, but I will get there. I will get there.
2: The the part where you actually show up?
0: (laughs) Uh, yeah, I haven't read that part. No, I'm in the book.
2: He's
1: too too scared (laughs) to know how he's, uh, gonna be coming across.
0: (laughs) No. Uh,
2: like we talked about in the interview today, but no, it was, um, by the time I was done, I was completely exhausted. I'm not gonna lie, I was completely exhausted. Um but i i was at san diego pain summit this weekend and um first of all you guys need to get there next year just i mean like everybody needs to be there it was such an amazing experience and um i gave the attendees the book like just because they're learning and i re- I, I don't know if you guys have noticed this i really like people that are willing to learn um and several of the folks there like had kind of read it in a you know pre pre pre-release way for me and the things that people have said um i'm going to start to cry again just because it, it it's been um it's been really eye-opening for people that i already felt like their eyes were open on what it's like to actually live in that kind of desperation and despair of pain and um you know, if you think
1: this interview is raw, you should read the book. Uh, I think, uh, no, I'm so grateful that you've come and spoken to us, Amy, because, you know, like you're saying, saying earlier in the piece, you know, you were really good at hiding it from your physios, right? Like you would put on your brave face, have your shower, put your clothes, and so patients probably do that a lot for us as well, you know, hide, hide their truth. Um, so maybe we don't ever get to feel the full impact Um, of what our clients are going through so I actually I'm so grateful that you've shared this and I think for anyone in pain to actually hear hear your journey but also hear what has helped you and you know like we were saying before the podcast there's no uh you know we wish that there was like a really simple cure for pain and that if we gave everyone a blueprint follow this and do these things it's going to work And, and that doesn't work for everyone but it's I think it's just so helpful to um hear of somebody who has been through let's face it hell like it's it's yes. been a it's been a rough ride for you um but through this journey, you know you have learned so much about yourself, you've obviously made a lot of friends, yeah within certainly within the physio world as well as um you know other aspects of your life but um got back into your swimming, swimming competitively. It's just, oh, it's, it's so beautiful to hear. So I, I'm i really grateful that you opened up to us. So thank you so much. Thank you. And I look forward to reading your book as well. <laughs> I have a box of tissues.
2: It has been, it has been really fun to be here with you guys tonight. So, well, it's my night. It's your Friday already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, look, thank you very much, Amy. Um, Really appreciate it. So where, where can people find you? Um, where's, what's the easiest way to get in contact with you? How can people find you for appointments? I know that you take referrals from providers as well as directly from the public and from around the world. So how can people find you?
2: Um, my website is www.restoringvenus.com. And if you click work with me, you can pull down the little menu there and pick the thing that suits you best. Um, If you would like to interact with me on social media, I am on Facebook at Restoring Venus. Um, Facebook messages, I remember, they're there. Instagram messages, I don't. So if you actually want me to pay attention to you, you should probably go through my website or Facebook. And I will mention the podcast again, just because if you enjoyed hearing my story, uh, there are 14 other stories and more coming on the way of um, men and women that have just done miraculous things. And this season, I'm going to have some folks that have had like pelvic pain, urinary incontinence, diastasis, things like that. So there will also be some women's health issues that are shared. And I am just so proud to be in the company of those men and women. So restoring you on iTunes and available on my
1: blog. Awesome. Well, I think we will, um, we'll wrap it up today because I think we've almost got to two hours for our one hour uh, podcast because quite frankly, it was just awesome. And we we would never want to stop you from telling your story. So thank you so much, Amy. We really appreciate it. You- and um, Yeah. Everyone jump on board. Amy's follow Amy's Facebook and um, get her book when the final version is released on March the what? 14th. 14th. Not even close. Thank you, Amy.
0: Thank you very much, Amy. Really appreciate it. And um, if you enjoyed this podcast, make sure that you press like and subscribe, leave us a review, um, tell us what you thought and you can ask any questions for Amy and she'll get those and be able to answer you back um, and go from there. Thanks very much. Well, that's it for this episode. Please be sure to hit like if you enjoyed this episode and leave any comments or questions below because we'd really love to hear from you.
1: If you haven't already hit subscribe, please do so now so that you can be kept notified of when we release a new episode.
0: Otherwise, thank you for listening and we look forward to having you back with us for another episode of the Women's Health Podcast.